good, all that is sacred, and in the warm and loving energy of this community, Spiritual Life Center. If you're joining us for the first time, we especially want to welcome you because we know that you are not here by accident. You're here by divine appointment. Thank you for joining us on your unique path today, and we hope you enjoy this special message from this past Sunday's service. You're welcome very much. Thank you, John. It's almost like you never left. You know, like getting on a bicycle, as they say. Just come right on in. Uh, in our father's house, uh, there was a line in there, and I think it said, I don't know if I have it correctly, that said that those that shake your shame at the door, it's not welcome here anymore. I was thinking about a time that I was... Uh, at a spiritual community, and after the service, you know, in the receiving lines, where someone had come up to me, and they had been there just for the very first time, and had never been exposed to this kind of teaching or philosophy. And they said, uh, you know, I can't come back here anymore. And I said, well, I got my attention. Well, why is that? They said, because I just don't feel guilty when I leave here like I do those other places I've been to. You know, I, I just can't take it. The vibration is just too high for me. I can't come back. I said, well, you might get used to it. Keep coming back. But I think it reminds us that we are part of a theology or teaching that is a theology of joy. Uh, there are a lot of theisms out there, lots of theologies out there. But we have a theology of joy because we know in our soul there's, there's one loving presence, one loving power, one thing that is always supporting us. And it's almost impossible to have a connection with this presence and be kind of down in the mouth or feel downtrodden or upset. Even when things are not going right, supposedly in our life, even things do not be going, are not going the way that we want them to. When there is a sincere connection or contact with this presence, or what, as John was saying, in that Father's presence, there is an inner peace, an inner joy that is always there because there's something that can take us over if we allow it. Well, today's Father's Day, and as Paula shared, we extend a joyous and happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there, and, and uh, as well as those... Uh, Mothers that played that role. You know, a lot of mothers played both roles, mother and father uh, in life. And so we, we thank them uh, as well for, you know, their energy and support. And I always know that, you know, speaking on Father's Day and, and Mother's Day for others can be a little tricky, you know, for someone in my position because more than a few people sometimes come to me and say, you know, I did not have a positive example of a father on earth. 
or maybe my father you know, passed away when he was very young and I was very young, or I didn't get to know him, or maybe he left, or maybe he had some abusive tendencies, and I didn't know who he was. So whatever the case may be, you know, everyone did not have that positive experience. But the master teacher, Jesus, gave us uh, another way to see what we meant by father. When he said, call no one earth your father, there is one father, one that you cannot see. It's an energy. It's a positive force that is always for us and never against us and is here to help us realize our oneness with it. So as I was coming up with a topic for today, I was thinking about what to share and what popped in my mind probably a month or two ago when I was coming up with talk titles for Paula. Paula was asked, what's your talk titles? What's your talk titles? I need to come up with some music. And I said, okay, what do I talk about today? And so this parable kept coming up in my mind. And it's the story of the prodigal son. And this parable, of course, includes a father and his two sons and the relationship between and amongst them. And of course, what the symbolic meaning of that story means for us. You know, we look at the, the Bible, particularly you know, parables, as, as, as something that tells us a story about us. So we have to put ourselves in the picture because they're reflecting something about our own growth, development, and, and transformation. And in our philosophy, when we look at the names of people, the, the events that took place, they always symbolize some sort of change, some sort of transformation, some sort of awareness for us. So I'm going to share a, a summary of the, the prodigal son story. And uh, just from my perspective, the James Trapp version of uh, the Bible. <laughs> So I imagine going back in time, and Jesus got his folks sitting around, and I can imagine that they're sitting around a campfire. That's not in the Bible, but I imagine that in my own mind. And he tells about a young man, and he's filled with ambition. He's filled with a feeling of restlessness, and he wants to conquer the world. He wants to get out of his small town that he's in, and he asks his father, you know, I know I'm going to inherit some money, but I don't want to wait. Give me my inheritance right now. And the father, of course, very wise, you know, probably says something, well, okay. And he did. And uh, the young son went off to a journey. He was looking for adventure. He was looking for freedom. He went off into the far country, la-la land, we would call it today. So the prodigal son engaged in a whole lot of excess in, in his living and, you know, did engage in what I call riotous life. And he squandered all of his money and was partying and, you know, made a lot of bad choices. And eventually the gig was up. He woke up one day and said, I have no more money. And you know what happens when the money leaves? So do all his friends. Or so he thought were friends. And it got so bad that he said, I'm willing to eat what the pigs have as a leftover. And he couldn't even get that. And it says at some point he came, in the story he said, he came to himself. He decided that he wanted to return to his father and somehow get back in his good graces. And 
he began to rehearse a speech in his head. And he said, Dad, I screwed up. That's what he's talking to himself. He's not saying screwed up, but you're not going to use the word that he actually used. <laughs> I no longer deserve to be called your son. But can you see this, the, the, the ability just to, to at least hire me back as a servant like your other servants there? He was going to seek forgiveness from his father, hopefully get back to being accepted by his father. And so he was heading back, trudging back with a heavy heart. He had a lot of guilt, a lot of regret, a lot of shame that he could not leave at the door. He was beating himself up. So he's made his journey back home, hoping that some way, some small chance, he would get some redemption. And to his surprise, something happened. As he approached home, his father saw him, saw him from a distance, and he ran up to him and just simply embraced him. He was overwhelmed with joy. <coughs> Excuse me. So what happened? The father welcomed his lost son back. He opened him, he welcomed him back with arms wide open. He expressed unconditional love and forgiveness. And he decided, you know, let's have a celebration. So he said, you know, let's have a feast. And they treated him like a celebrity. And the older brother was looking at this whole situation kind of side-eye. And he said, what is going on here? Here I am. I'm the faithful one. All this time I've been obedient. I never even got a ticket for reckless donkey driving, whatever they did back then. <laughs> He's feeling a certain way. He's in his feelings. He's feeling resentful and angry and aggrieved, saying how unfair this is. And his father says to his older son, you've always been with me. Everything I have is yours. We should be rejoicing. Your brother was dead. Now he has come to life and was lost, and now he is found. And that's the end of the story. But we can glean, I believe, from that lessons for us, for our world, from that parable. The prodigal, that younger son, represents something, represents that part of humanity that's often attached to the material, that seeks to get external validation, that seeks to get external affirmation, seeks to get external love outside of themselves. And as a result, he get lured sometimes what we call the far country and believes that that's where all the action is and, you know, that will bring him satisfaction. You know, I thought of a group of students. They were graduate students from a prestigious school, a business school, and they had come together for their 15th reunion. Uh, and they seemed to be destined when they graduated to, to have nothing but prosperity and bliss and all the good things in life. And by objective measures, they had an abundance everywhere, and they had a parallel euphoria, and that became the reality based upon what we may measure as success. They achieved a level of achievement not seen by many peers at that time, and they were the elite of the elite. And most of them lacked nothing at all. You would say that they have the charmed life. But several of them were not happy. 
They made the external success and the acquisition the object of their existence. But often what follows temporary satisfaction for fulfillment on that level, anything outside of ourselves that we think are going to fulfill us, what follows that often is dissatisfaction. And our blaster teacher Jesus referred to this dissatisfaction when he was talking to the woman at the well. And he said to her, you know, you're trying to get satisfaction. You want to drink from this water. And if you drink from this water, you're going to thirst again. But if you drink of this eternal water, you'll never thirst. I think to put it another way, sometimes we can never get enough of something that we do not need. And so seeking satisfaction from the external or mere acquisition of things is like chasing the feather in the wind. The more one swats after it, the more it eludes us, and then satisfaction does not come. You know, so I can relate kind of to the prodigal son in this part of my life that, you know, I sought to get, you know, success and fulfillment outside of myself, and none of that really worked. The dissatisfaction set in, and then I began to seek fulfillment in my own sort of riotous living, and my life imploded, and I've shared a little bit about that before. I didn't have to feed hogs for a living like they did in the Bottle Sun, but I had my own low point. But then I had my own wake-up call, and I began to see the light. I don't know if you remember watching, you know, if you ever watched the Blues Brothers, you know, the, 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 uh, the, uh, the, the character played by John Belushi there at the back of the church, you know, and, and, and then all of a sudden he says, I have seen the light. And he starts doing flips through the, the church and, you know, I'm going to do that one day and, you know, <laughs> shock y'all, you know. <laughs> doing out in the aisle, flipping, you know, doing backflips. But many of us have to go through this prodigal stage at some time or another. Maybe it's a necessary step for our own personal growth where we have to go into the far country in order to grow back into the awareness that we are always one with the source. We're always one with that something where everything comes from, everything flows from, the fountainhead. There is no separation from that other in our own minds which brings us to the father in the parable. His response to his son is one of compassion. His response was one that did not have any judgment. His response symbolized unconditional love that is within and around all of us. It is unconditional positive regard. Someone told me one time that God does not love me for who I am. I am because God loves me. And that applies to each and every one of us. We are because we are the expression of the love of God. And this love cannot change up on itself. You know, Meister Eckert said something to the effect that, you know, I do not have to thank God for loving me. God can't help itself. That's his nature. So in the parable, the father stands unmoved by the so-called negative things the prodigal thought he had done with his life. The Father symbolizes that stability and ever-availability of the presence that is not only around us, but is also always within us. It's forever and always and everywhere present. It is our so-called mistakes that are temporary. And these mistakes sometimes assist us in seeing who and what we really are. You know, what we are, expressions of that divine love itself, 
So when we realize that, we can start releasing the thought forms of the ultimate mistake, what some people call the original sin, which I've always looked at as some sort of religious abuse. I always say, you know, there's no such thing. You know, give, give me a break. You know, give up then. If that's, you know, original, you can't do anything about it. We've been fooled for thousands of years. That there's something called this original sin, uh, and, and, and we're never going to make it. It happened, you know, long time ago. You know, it's original. That's all I can tell you. It's original. Uh, but we don't want to give up. Because there is no original sin. Because if God is all that there is, and yes, God is all that there is. If God is love, yes, God is love. And everything that there is is a manifestation from the only thing that there is. There is no room for an original sin. There's only room for an original blessing, as Matthew Fox would talk about. And this original blessing is that we're made in the image and likeness of God itself. And absolutely nothing can stop that truth or separate us from the power and the presence and the love of God. We can separate, we can frustrate it. We may slow it down. You know, one of my teachers told me that what sin is is nothing more than self-inflicted nonsense. It's stuff we do to ourselves. But when we come out and come up and wake up, like that prodigal son, we come back home with the realization of our oneness with the presence of God. And when we turn away from the belief of separation and embrace that oneness, oh, the very hills clap their hands with joy. But, of course, we look at the older brother. He stayed home. In his mind, he was faithful. He was dutiful. He worked his father's fields and his farm. And, and he's saying, like I said, I, you know, I did all these right things. I sacrificed. I never strayed. And look at this dude over here. He's nowhere around. I've been doing all the work. Now they're taking the work product that I came up with to give him a feast. And, you know, he blows all of his money. He's living a life of debauchery. He's selling up our name of the family. They give him the best clothes. He's got a big ring on his finger. He's got some designer sandals on. <laughs> they're throwing him a feast with the most expensive food. They never threw a party for me. I'm the good one. There's something wrong with this picture, and I do not like it. Well, the, rage, the older brother radiated jealousy and rage with anger. But here's the thing. While he did not go to the far country himself, he did get out of his sense of oneness. And in his bondage to obligation, he too was servant to a limited consciousness. You know, by his jealousy, he indicates that at heart, he also is a prodigal. I believe that he probably secretly wanted to do exactly what his brother did, but he didn't have the courage to step out of his comfort zone that he was attached to. So behind the facade of respectability, he was bitter. He was cynical. <laughs> He had his own transformation that he needed to go through in order to realize his oneness with the force, his oneness with the presence, his oneness with what we call the Father. Because when we hold energy of anger or envy, we block the flow of good in our own life. You know, there's something in, in that Apostle Paul said in Romans 8, 2, I don't always agree with what he has to say, but 
He said something to the effect, we're here to be set free by the law of spirit from the law of sin and death. And I also wonder, what does that mean? And I believe that it means that when one is blessed, that's the law of spirit. The law of spirit says that if one is blessed, it benefits all of us. And the law of sin and death says that we believe that when one gains, another person loses. So we have to train ourselves that whenever we hear good, that we have to practice rejoicing in another person's good. We have to realize that our potential as children of God in this presence is dependent upon what we feel about other people. So we want to activate that law of spirit that says that one is blessed, all of us are blessed because we are interconnected on a spiritual level, a soul level. Now this takes a modicum of training to break away from the hypnotic spell of self-inflicted nonsense or the sense of separation and to fully embrace this idea that anyone that's lifted up, that we too are lifted up because we are interconnected on that spiritual level, that soul level. So sometimes in life we may have someone that, you know, we don't like. Maybe on the human level we say, you know, I can't stand that person. And then we hear some good fortune happening to that individual. Rather than say, why did that happen to them and not me? We have to sometimes make me force ourselves to say, okay, I got to do this. Congratulations. Bless you. And just get it out. And what we want to do is be soldiers of affirmation, positive affirmations. We want to continue to affirm. We want to declare that only positive qualities of the Spirit are there and they're there for all of us. So any negative or what we call below-the-line energy begins to evaporate. So our life becomes in alignment with our oneness, with the goodness of God, the awesomeness of God, the dreams of our heart. And we remove all the things that are blocking the realization of this, including how we say and think about other people. Because I always like to say, they get to copy, we keep the original. So we don't want to say anything that's going to bring us down. And as I said, this is a theology of joy. As someone once told me that if you don't have a God of joy, you got a wrong God. Time to get a new God. So it's Father's Day. And, you know, if we've had an earthly father that served us as a positive figure in our life, then we say, great. But if not, you know, they were there for a purpose, so we forgive them and we take whatever they may have left and we help us build to another level. And we move, use that to move from being a stepping stone, to a, a, a tombstone to a stepping stone. And remember that statement that, you know, on earth we may have earthly fathers, but our true father, it lies in that presence, that force that is unchangeable, that is the power and the presence of love itself. So we go to that invisible realm where the original is, where the source is, and we throw our hearts wide open to it. That force, that love, intelligence that governs our brand universe is sending us an unchanging, eternal, cannot-be-changed message. And it's saying to us in so many words, I know who you are. You are the delight of God brought up before the creations of our world. 
There's nothing that you can do to stop this presence from loving you, supporting you, encouraging you to be the best that you can be. Maybe we had to go to the far country for a while so we can grow back into the awareness of our oneness with this all good. Maybe we had to lose what we thought was important to realize that we had everything that we needed all of the time. So we're not afraid to meet the presence of God, no matter what we think we have done. And even after we've gone off to the far country, you know, the Father presence is really saying, come on home. Because this presence has not moved. We've moved from God. God was waiting. We were late. We were late. I'm sure it's probably saying, if it could say in so many words, it'll be all right when they get here. For remember, it's God's good pleasure to give us the kingdom, which is ever-expanding good. In order to get back to that feeling of oneness, we must come to ourselves. We know God cannot do more for us than we allow the presence to do through us. So we got to be open. Because we know that this presence, the force, the divine, cannot make us healthy. It cannot make us happy. It cannot make us prosperous unless we let God be God in us. So like the prodigal son, we come to ourselves. We come on home. And we begin to feel the joy that has been there all of the time. Happy Father's Day. Peace. We are grateful for the opportunity to share with you today and hope you've taken something from this Sunday's message. If you'd like to hear more from Spiritual Life Center, be sure to click subscribe on the podcast platform you're listening from. You can find out more about our community on our website at www.slcworld.org. We look forward to being a part of your continued spiritual journey. Wherever you are, God is, and all is well. Spiritual Life Center